0: Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio, wherever you get
1: your podcasts. Underdog Fantasy is the fastest-growing fantasy app, and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app. Draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO, and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code radio. Terms and conditions apply. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Matt Lombardo Show, part of the Stacking the Box podcast. Please welcome your host, Matt Lombardo. What's
2: going on everybody? Welcome on into the Matt Lombardo show right here inside Fansided Stacked in the Box podcast feed. Of course, I'm Matt Lombardo, FanSided's National NFL Insider. Week 3 of the NFL season is upon us, and we have a big show in store. Giants wide receiver Sterling Shepard will join us in just a little bit and his quarterback Daniel Jones had one of the strongest quarterback performances of anybody across the league last week. We'll touch on that with him. Justin Fields set to make his first start for the Chicago Bears Sunday afternoon. Tough spot against the Cleveland Browns. We'll break all of that down and a whole lot more. But before we get into all of it. If you really enjoy this podcast, I would really appreciate it if you subscribe in the Apple Podcast Store to fan-sided Stacking the Box NFL Podcast. You get two podcasts for the price of none. You get Mark Carman and Matt Verteram on Tuesdays and the Matt Lombardo Show each and every Friday morning in your favorite podcast platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker, SoundCloud, all of them. And if you like the show, if you really enjoy it, I'd really love it if you left a five-star review. Let me know what you like about the podcast, what you don't like, and give me your breakout star for the NFL season. Who will be this year's breakout superstar the rest of the way? And I kind of wanted to throw that out there in lieu of Justin Fields making his first start Sunday afternoon because this is really fascinating. You look at all of the NFL quarterbacks and they've kind of taken their lumps and had their issues. Zach Wilson looks like a total disaster so far. Four interceptions last week for the Jets. It was just a really dismal performance. And you look at Mac Jones, really efficient. Not setting the world on fire, but doing what he needs to do for the New England Patriots. Trevor Lawrence, it was always going to be a work in progress with that offense and with that roster and with Urban Meyer as the head coach, but Fields was always kind of the wild card, especially after everything we saw during the preseason where it looked like he could make every throw on the route tree. Now, were there growing pains? Were there times he held onto the ball too long in the pocket? Were there times where he ran the ball when maybe had a receiver downfield? Yes, all of those things happened. But he's a rookie quarterback. He's the number 11 overall pick in the draft. You learn to live with those things. And I'm surprised that it took this long for the Bears to go to Fields. And obviously, he's getting his first start against the Browns in Cleveland. Really tough game. Arguably a top 5-10 to 10 front 7 in the NFL. You got to worry about Miles Garrett and Jevion Clowney on every single snap. But Fields gets the start because Andy Dalton got hurt last week. Had the bone bruise. And Fields has to come in. And, and look, he didn't set the world on fire by any stretch. Six of 13, 60 yards passing, one interception. He was sacked once, but he also rattled off 10 rushes for 31 yards. And that's what you get from Justin Fields. And that's what I'm excited to see, the whole package, what he can do from the pocket, the elements of his athleticism that opens up in Matt Nagy's playbook, what he's able to do against a really tough test in his first start, and... Everybody talks about, well, maybe they shouldn't play the rookie. Maybe that Matt Nagy, who was there in Kansas City, should have followed the same playbook that they had with Patrick Mahomes, let him sit for a year. But it's a completely different scenario. Andy Reid wasn't on the hot seat about to be fired when they drafted Patrick Mahomes. Matt Nagy is in a prove-it-year. So, too, is the general manager. They could potentially clean house if this doesn't go well. If this season came off the rails and Fields didn't play, that was it. It was lights out. Fresh start, whole new situation. But now you got to look at Fields. And uh, talking to people in the Bears organization, I had a team source text me on Thursday afternoon, and he said, What I like most about Justin Fields is that he's a competitor, he's strong, and he's tough. And the source told me the best part was that that competitiveness really shined through during this summer, during training camp, where he was fighting for the job with Andy Dalton. And that's a different parallel as well to what they had in Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes. Alex Smith was a guy who you could win 10, 11 games with every year and feel confident about it. You might even win a playoff game with Alex Smith. You could afford to take your time and groom Patrick Mahomes behind the scenes. Andy Dalton was always going to be a placeholder. I don't care how many tweets the Bears social media account put out there that he was quarterback one. The clock was ticking on Andy Dalton's time with the Chicago Bears from the moment they chose Justin Fields. When they traded a first-round pick in the 2022 NFL draft to the Giants to move up to take Fields number 11 overall, the clock got started on when he would make his first start. And it's going to be Sunday. And look, it's no cakewalk, and This is kind of a desperate Browns team Coming in at 1-1, one one. two weeks ago in the opener, they get run out of the building, a late fourth quarter collapse against the Kansas City Chiefs, once again showing how difficult it is to beat Kansas City, and the Ravens were able to do that on Sunday night in heroic fashion late, but the Chiefs did to the Browns what the Ravens did to the Chiefs on Sunday, and you're probably getting back, if you're the Browns, you're probably getting Odell Beckham Jr. back, so you're almost at full strength on both sides of the ball. But for Fields to go into Cleveland, this is going to be the litmus test of all litmus tests. I don't know that you should expect for Justin Fields to throw for 250 and two touchdowns and run for 75 yards and a score. I don't know if those expectations are necessarily fair. But to me, it comes down to limiting turnovers, limiting mistakes, and if you're close late in the game. And back during the preseason, after the Bears drafted Fields and you start looking around at the rookie quarterbacks in their various situations and you start to think about what might be the best opportunity to get Fields on the field for the Chicago Bears. If everybody was healthy, if Andy Dalton hadn't gotten hurt, you kind of circled the game against the Lions or the game at Vegas, because either way, you're either playing a divisional opponent at home, it's a soft landing spot, or you're going to Vegas, and, and wow, the Raiders are really surprised, huh? How about what Derek Carr has done leading the league and passing through the first two weeks? But you thought that that would be an easy away game, probably a lot of transient Bears fans and Bears fans on vacation before coming back against Green Bay, Tampa, and San Francisco to really test his mettle. But you're going to test Justin Fields and figure out exactly what he is right away this week, against the Cleveland Browns. And really, regardless of what happens, this is it. This is the Justin Fields show from here on out. There's really no benefit to going to Andy Dalton. There's no reason to go back to that well. Ryan Pace staked his job, his reputation, and his Bears future to drafting Justin Fields, to playing Justin Fields. Matt Nagy, this is make it or break it time. It doesn't matter if you make the postseason as long as Justin Fields plays well and shows promise. If you're Matt Nagy, if you're Ryan Pace, I don't know how you go back to Andy Dalton. I don't know how you go back there. Unless it's just a complete and total abject disaster. But you look at their upcoming schedule after that grueling stretch, you go at you go the Lions at home, at the Raiders versus the Packers at Tampa versus the 49ers at the Steelers versus the Ravens before you come up for air against the Lions. Then you have the Cardinals at the Packers, the Vikings at Seattle versus the Giants. There's really no layup the rest of the way until you get to week 16 against the Giants. So regardless of what happens here, there's no soft landing spot for Justin Fields to get pulled if Andy Dalton is healthy and then put back in. We're not living in 2002 anymore. We're not living in 1998 anymore. Rookie quarterbacks need to play. Rookie quarterbacks need game reps. That's how you get better. And if you watch Fields last week, it's evident that he needs to improve. There is work to be done there. There's no questioning that. There were throws that he should have made. There was the ugly interception. But you learn from those mistakes and you get better from them. I don't think in today's NFL that you're going to learn all that much sitting on the bench, especially once you're out there. And there's an interesting parallel and thread line to be drawn between whatever happens to Justin Fields and what's going on with Zach Wilson and the Jets. That was a terrible performance last week. Four interceptions against the Patriots, really boosting Bill Belichick in New England's passing defense rating, by the way. But you can't pull him. You can't yank him. Once you put a first round pick out there, he has to play. He has to go through the growing pains. And if Matt Nagy decides after a week or two, if it doesn't go well with Justin Fields, then guess what? You got to bring in a new head coach next year who's going to play him. Because you're not going to draft a quarterback next year. You don't have a first round pick. You're not going to trade within your division for Aaron Rodgers. That was never going to happen. You're not going to trade for Deshaun Watson because you don't have the draft capital because he traded a first round pick. So Justin Fields is your future. You're an offensive-minded quarterback guru and Matt Nagy. You have a great quarterback coach on your staff and John D. Filippo, who Carson Wentz was an MVP the one year that he worked with John D. Filippo. And look what Carson Wentz is now. Could potentially be on the final legs of his career as he's dealing with two ankle injuries and a really disappointing situation in Indianapolis. But you have the support system and the infrastructure in place to get the most out of Justin Fields. So whether he goes off against the Browns and shocks the world and throws for 250, two touchdowns and runs for 80 yards, or if he throws for a buck 20 with an interception and rushes for 75 yards and a touchdown, you find ways to build on it. You find ways to grow from there. And you keep playing him. Sterling Shepard joins us next, right here on the Matt Lombardo show, inside fan-sided stacked in the box podcast feed.
1: Welcome back into
2: the Matt Lombardo show and what a treat we have right now joining us, New York Giants wide receiver, Sterling Shepard. He's here in his partnership with tide to talk about the NFL season, the first two games of his 2021 campaign and a whole lot more. Shep, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. How you? I'm doing really well. And you know, right out of the gate, you know, you're off to one of the fastest starts of your career. You're leading the giants in receptions, receiving touchdowns. You have 207 receiving yards, What's kind of quick for you personally so far this season?
0: I honestly think it's uh, us as a unit. I mean, uh, we all have to do our part. And, um, you know, that's, that's ultimately helped me with my success. And uh, the line has to protect DJ. DJ has to uh, make quick and decisive decisions. And, um, and I think he's done that thus far. So um, all of us as a whole has um, really contributed to that. It seems like when you're on the
2: field with Daniel together, he seems to be able to level his game up to a new gear. And and maybe that he's not able to find in weeks when you have been hurt in the past over the last couple of seasons. Why do you think you two have been able to develop such a strong chemistry so quickly over what's really the first maybe year and a half of his career when you factor in when he might have been out or when you have been?
0: Yeah, I think it's uh, really just come down to the work that we've put in. I mean, we're always with each other. Um, always running the routes over the off season, and uh, I think that that really has a lot to do with our chemistry and uh, our success um, uh, this far in the season.
2: And it seems like, you know, Daniel Jones has really turned a corner, especially in that Washington game. How have you seen him kind of build up to that moment? It didn't turn the ball over, seemed to protect the ball a little bit better. I know you guys came home with a loss, but it seemed like he made some big-time throws and big-time spots. And it might have been the best game of his career. What do you think has really been the difference for him this season?
0: Yeah, I think it's that. I mean, uh, you're going to grow nationally as a player the more ball that you play. And um, when you think about it, I mean, he hasn't really played that much ball if you look, uh, look around the league, but well, we got some young quarterbacks around the league, but um, you know, he's, he's definitely um, upped his game week to week and uh, he, he's been working his tail off. I mean, I think that's what you gotta, you gotta look at. I mean, over the off season, he's always trying to perfect his game and uh, work on some of the things that didn't go so well the the previous season. And I think this far it's been looking good.
2: And you've kind of been carrying the load in the passing game. Why do you think it's been a little bit of a struggle to get Kenny Galladay involved? I know he had the injury early in training camp, but through the first two games, he wasn't really a factor up until the last five minutes against Denver, but he did have some nice catches against Washington. Um, How do you guys get Kenny more involved? And why do you think it's been a little bit of a struggle so far?
0: Yeah, it's still early on in the season. I mean, uh, if you look at it, he he really didn't uh, get that much time in camp just due to the injury. And, um, you know, we'll get him going. Uh, I think it's just a progression. I mean, you got to keep on kind of working at it. And uh, we're going to find ways to get him the ball. He's uh, a dynamic playmaker. And uh, you ultimately got to get guys going like that. So, um, you know, it's it's just steps in it that we have to take. And uh, we'll get there.
2: I know back during the spring, Joe Judge said that when they decided to draft Kadarius Tony, that on draft night he picked up the phone and he gave you a call What did that mean to you personally to have your head coach care enough about you to give you the call and say, listen, just a heads up. We're taking this kid. He's a receiver. It's kind of the opposite of what the Packers did when they drafted Jordan Love with Aaron Rodgers. just, you know, from your perspective, getting that phone call, what was that like? And how much did that mean to you that they thought enough to reach out at that time?
0: I mean, just from man to man, I mean, it's uh, just respect that uh, he has for me and the things that I've done for uh, this franchise and, you know, I'm, I'm the longest tenured giant, so uh, it meant a lot to me, but it, it wasn't just me that he does it to. He does it to everybody if uh, he's going to draft somebody in your position. And um, <clears throat> I just I think that that goes a long way, It shows what type of person he is and uh, the respect he has for the guys that have been playing this game.
2: And what have you seen from Kadarius so far? Because obviously once training camp ends, we don't get to watch much practice he's kind of been eased into whatever role that he's going to have in the offense. But what do you see from him in practice on a day-to-day basis?
0: Yeah. I mean, he jumps off the screen. He's really quick, really explosive, uh, and definitely a dynamic playmaker whenever you get the ball into his hands. So we'll find different ways to get the ball into his hands just because he's electric. And so uh, it, it jumps off the screen at you, like I said.
2: And, you know, for all the weapons you guys have, you have yourself, you have Saquon Barkley, you have Kenny Galladay, Evan Ingram is still banged up, but you drafted Kadarius Tony. Is there a frustration that the offense hasn't really been able to, you know, shift it into that next gear so far?
0: No, I mean, there's no frustration. Uh, we know what we're capable of, and I think it just comes down to us doing small things right. Um, I mean, that's the difference in uh, last week's game is uh, taking care of the little things, and that's something that's been stressed to us throughout the week. And um, yeah, I think guys are honed in on that and. Um, know the importance of taking taking care of those small details
2: and Saquon Barkley broke off a couple of big runs against Washington He looked a little bit tentative against Denver and understandably so coming off that injury but you watch Saquon in that game and I'm sure you see him every day in practice how close is he to to finding that next level that explosiveness that makes him one of the top running backs in the league this year how, how close is he to finding that gear
0: I mean, that, he's special, man. Uh, he's definitely a generational talent and somebody that I love to, to, watch, to watch run the ball. Um, but, I mean, when you take a year off of football, you're going to have some time to um, get your wave back and get into that wave. And, um, I mean, he's, he's making progression week to week, and uh, he'll, he'll continue to do that.
2: All right, let's broaden out here real quick. Who's the toughest cornerback to beat in this league? Who's been your toughest matchup through your career so far?
0: Uh, you gotta go with Jalen Ramsey. I mean, when you got when you have a guy that um, is is that long and um, that that big and able to move at the speed that he moves at, uh, it's tough to deal with. He's a physical player, so uh, yeah, I, I put him at the top of the list.
2: And you saw Patrick Patrick Sertain week one. He was the second cornerback chosen in the draft. You kind of tiptoed down the sideline for a touchdown against him. But what did you see out of the kid in his NFL debut?
0: Yeah, I mean, he shows some promise. Uh, he's another one of those guys. that's a, a bigger guy. Um, the game is still really new to him, so he'll he'll progress and he'll keep um, learning the different niches and um, different things that will help out his game. Um, but, yeah, he's he looks good for for a guy that's just not coming in.
2: How much does it help you every day going into practice where you have a guy Um, like James Bradbury on one side and you have a Dory Jackson on the other side and some real young playmakers, Xavier McKinney, Darnay Holmes. These kids are, you know, more than capable of of standing out in the slot. But when you matched up in training camp one-on-one against James Bradbury, how much does that help you? And what have you been able to learn from going up against him every day?
0: Yeah, I mean, iron sharpens iron. And, um, yeah, when you have guys like that that are at the top of this league and play at a very high level, um, like a Dorian and like James, uh, it's ultimately going to help you translate over into the actual game. Um, yeah, I mean James has helped me a lot just going against bigger corners. Uh, you know, it's something that I, I have to be able to use my equipment off the line, just as I do in the slot outside, and uh, working against him every day has helped me help me do that.
2: What makes him elite? Makes his first Pro Bowl last year, probably one of the top five or so corners in the league a year ago, and. It had a big play and a huge moment against Washington the other night. What, what makes James Bradbury a top corner?
0: I mean, he's smart, man. Like, he, he's able to read concepts. And as you see on that pick that he had, um, you know, he, he does a lot of work in the film room, and uh, it pays off. I mean, he knew what was coming, and he was able to jump it and give us a pick at a time when we really needed it.
2: All right, let's switch back to the offensive side of the ball here real quick and take Sterling Shepard out of the equation. Hang the number three jersey up in the corner which slot receiver in the NFL has the best first step to get off the line of scrimmage and create separation that you that you see?
0: Uh, you, know, you got guys that bounce bounce back and forth from the slot and um, I, I watch a lot of them. I mean you look at uh, Jerry Judy um before he got hurt. I mean he's one of those guys that's got a really good first step, really good releases, and um I was able to watch Keenan Allen just because you know they're playing some of the teams that we're playing we we'll eventually play them, but uh, watching film on him versus Washington, you really get to see some of his releases and some of his first steps. And those are two guys that, that really jump out to me.
2: All right, Chef, talk to me about what you have going on with Tide this season. Seems like some really cool initiatives going on.
0: Yeah. Um, so the NFL and uh, Tide, they're switching to Washington cold, uh, which helps the environment. Uh, and also can save you money, uh, which are two things that are uh, really good. I mean, I don't think anybody has a problem with saving a little bit of money and uh, helping the environment out at the same time. Um, and then you can also go to tide.com um, and pledge to, to in cold. And uh, you have an opportunity to win a washing machine that is a New York giants washing machine. And it also has my voice on it, which I thought was pretty cool.
2: What was that like Take me through the process of recording your voice for the it, what was it basically? Oh, spin cycle complete. Because all I hear is is the damn alarm, that weird buzzer when it's done. It, yeah. If we had that washing machine, would it be Shep Shepard Shepherd saying, Hey, your your dryer's
0: done? What do you even say on the on the
2: the, the voiceover?
0: Yeah, you guys are gonna have to go uh, you know pledge to, to Washington Colts, oh. figure that out. But you know, I got a couple of lines on there that I that I recorded, and um, it definitely makes it a little bit more fun washing clothes, especially if you're a Giants fan.
2: Is it kind of like when they suit you up for Madden and you got to wear those, you know, you know, plastic ping pong balls all over your head and, you know, go through all the range of motions? What's the day like in the recording studio for you doing stuff like that?
0: Not quite. I, <laughs> I use voice memos. <laughs> so Nice and
2: easy. Well, he's Sterling Shepard, New York Giants wide receivers. Shep, appreciate the time as always. Good luck the rest of the way and look forward to talking to you further up the road.
0: I appreciate you, man.
2: Really great stuff there from Sterling Shepard. Shepard brought to us by Tide Cold Washer, the first ever talking washing machine that reminds consumers to wash in cold water. The limited edition NFL team-branded series are customized with fan-favorite players' voices from 10 teams, which are being offered to fans through a sweepstakes starting on August 31st on Tide.com. If you're the Giants, you've got to feel really good, even though you're 0-2. You have to feel really good about what you've seen from Daniel Jones and Sterling Shepard so far this year. Jones enters Week 3 15th in passing with 516 yards, two touchdowns, and no picks. I know he had the costly fumble against the Broncos, But the ball security seemed to be a point of emphasis last Thursday night in the loss to the Washington football team. No interceptions so far. So that's a big milestone through two games for Daniel Jones. And Sterling Shepard, not only does he lead the Giants in receiving, he's third in the league in receptions, eighth in yards. And it's starting to really feel like this Giants offense goes as Sterling Shepard goes. He's quickly become, over the past two and a half years, Daniel Jones' favorite target. He might even be their most important weapon on the offense. And you go out if you're the Giants and you sign Kenny Galladay, you draft Kadarius Toney, you had Darius Slayton in the fold, a former fifth-round pick. But Sterling Shepard's been their best receiver. And he's probably going to stay near the top of Daniel Jones' target hierarchy. And that means he's probably going to be among the team's leading receivers in what could be the most productive season of his career. But you go under the surface a little bit, and there are real issues with this Giants offense. They just can't seem to get Kenny Galladay involved. I know he had the hamstring injury during training camp that really limited him. That got him off to a slow start through the first couple of games. He wasn't really involved until the final four or five minutes of the opener. And he had a couple nice catches against Washington. So you can build on that a little bit. But now he has a hip injury, and he missed significant time last year with the Lions with a hip flexor. So that's something to certainly keep an eye on. And Kadarius Tony hasn't even been on the field. And of course, there was a very public blow-up on the sideline between Galladay and Jason Garrett. Both of them kind of talked that down in the media this week. You Had Kadarius Tony kind of pointing fingers at the media, blaming them for creating a circus. Just, just really an ugly scene, an ugly situation with Giants receivers over the past 10 days or so. But the Falcons are a team that present an opportunity for you to kind of get on track as an offense. But it's going to be really interesting to watch what that looks like, because they aren't really pushing the ball downfield. Daniel Jones is averaging just seven and a half air yards per attempt. He's already been sacked six times. So he's taking the kind of beating that he takes every year so far in his career. And it's really hard to think that's going to get much better for Jones, when you've lost Nick Gates to that gruesome injury that might or might not be career-threatening, and you're starting your third offensive line combination in three weeks, and Billy Price, in his debut as the center last week, had a PFF grade of something like 82 that's not going to get it done. And it's it's not just that for the Giants. The, the issue isn't just the offensive line. The issue is that they need to get Kadarius Toney going. They need to get Saquon Barkley ramped up closer to full speed. And he looked a little bit more explosive against the Washington football team, but he had the one big run and kind of disappeared after the 30-yard burst. But you also have to wonder if this defense is ever going to live up to the billing that it set up for itself a year ago. Patrick Graham's defense looks little like the group that dominated last year. They're allowing third down conversions on 40% of tries. If you can't get off the field, it's tough to win. And then you had everything that went down last week with Terry McLaurin basically being schemed one-on-one against James Bradbury, and it just looked like there isn't a whole lot of fear from opposing offensive coordinators of Bradbury, of Adoree Jackson, and of this secondary. So the Giants had 10 days to figure it out after an 0-2 start. They have a game that they should win on the horizon on Sunday against the Falcons. They're favored by three and a half, but I think they're the more talented team. I really do. We'll see what happens. We'll see if they can keep it going. We'll see if they can build on some of the positives from last week's loss. On the other side, we'll talk about the three teams that I think we're going to learn the most about in week three keep it locked right here on the matt lombardo show inside fan-sided stacked in the box podcast feed.
1: underdog fantasy is the fastest growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app draft your team and that's it and if drafts aren't your thing they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night Use promo code RADIO, and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply.
2: Welcome back into the Matt Lombardo Show. Great stuff again from Sterling Shepard, and be sure to check out Tide Coldwater and all of the great initiatives they have going on. But as we enter week three of the NFL season, I think we're really going to learn... We're going to learn a lot about three teams, three teams that we went into this season kind of thinking could compete in one of their cases, and two that you thought might be a Super Bowl matchup come February, but it just hasn't quite worked out that way, and the first team is the New Orleans Saints. They have a show-me-something game going into Foxborough against Bill Belichick, against Mac Jones, against a really dominant passing defense that really victimized Zach Wilson and the Jets last week. We're going to find out a lot about what the New Orleans Saints are and what Jameis Winston is at this stage of his career because the Saints are kind of in the same sort of territory as the Giants are with Daniel Jones, as the Eagles are with Jalen Hurts, and in some respects where the Miami Dolphins were with Tua Tagovailoa before Tua got hurt last week. They need to figure out what their future is at quarterback. They need to figure out if Jameis Winston is the answer. And the Patriots enter Sunday afternoon with the number six ranked passing defense in the league. They've got 184 yards per game. They have five interceptions. Four of them came last week courtesy of the turnover machine known as Zach Wilson and the Jets. But if any team can force Jameis Winston back to his old ways... It's New England, and I thought in that opener against the Packers, you saw Jameis Winston make some real strides, not just turning back the clock and showing off his cannon on a couple of deep touchdown passes, but some of the decisions that he made. He looked more like a top draft pick. He looked more like a guy that you could feel good about building around, but you don't know what he's going to do against a team that can test him defensively the way the Patriots are about to. Going into this week, Jameis has five touchdowns and just two interceptions. The Saints are one and one after losing to the Panthers last week. And here's the deal for New Orleans. They could find themselves very easily in quarterback purgatory if Jameis isn't the guy. But if he is, okay, now you can start building around him. You can go out and you can say, all right, we can get by with Jameis Winston. He can be our game manager, so to speak, and we're good enough with Michael Thomas and with Alvin Kamara, and with Marcus Calloway, that you have enough playmakers around him that with his arm strength and his mobility, that you can win some games, especially in a couple of years if he continues to build and develop. In a couple of years, once Tom Brady starts to maybe come back down to earth, maybe father time catches up just a little bit. But if Winston's not, if Jameis falters, and if he struggles again this week, man, you're in some really interesting territory because... The Saints then make a lot of sense this offseason for Jimmy Garoppolo in a trade. They make a lot of sense if Deshaun Watson is ever cleared to play football again, ever winds up legally cleared and gets back on the field and winds up avoiding any sort of suspension. Deshaun Watson makes some sense for the New Orleans Saints. But here's what's really fascinating to me, is that if Jameis Winston isn't the long-term answer for the Saints— is there a better situation in the league right now for Aaron Rodgers? Aaron Rodgers isn't going to the Houston Texans. For as much as you want to talk about Devontae Parker and Will Fuller and Preston Williams, Aaron Rodgers doesn't strike me as a Miami Dolphins type of guy. I can't see Aaron Rodgers hanging around South Beach. He can kind of nix the Dolphins in that conversation, even though they have all the draft capital to pull it off. But the New Orleans Saints... With Sean Payton as head coach and all of the infrastructure and all of the talent that makes it look like they could kind of win with Jameis Winston, just imagine if you throw Aaron Rodgers into that situation. Now, I don't know that he would go to New Orleans because then you're going to have to go up against Tom Brady twice a year on your road to the Super Bowl and just to make the postseason out of the NFC South. But I kind of think Aaron Rodgers has the kind of ego that he wants to butt up against the best in the league and try to get revenge for what happened in that NFC Championship game at Lambeau with Brady going in with his new team. I don't know if there's a better situation in the league for him to win immediately and win big than with Sean Payton and the New Orleans Saints. So we're going to find out if the Saints can compete this year and if they have enough in Jameis Winston to build around him and that they can win with him against the Patriots. But I don't know that there's a team in the NFL right now with more to prove than the Buffalo Bills. Just two weeks ago, the Bills were sitting pretty. I took a survey of a dozen NFL coaches, executives, players, that includes two current head coaches, a couple of coordinators, and the Bills were the team that was mentioned the most as a Super Bowl favorite, a team that people inside the league believed could go to and win the Super Bowl And they look like anything but right now. The Bills need to start looking like a Super Bowl team. That Bills defense really needs to start stepping up and looking like a championship caliber defense. I know that Pittsburgh came in there, and for whatever reason, nothing was really in sync for the offense. And you look at Ben Roethlisberger, he did enough to win the game. T.J. Watt made a couple of big plays. But nobody's going to give you credit then the following week for going down into Miami and letting them up 35 to nothing when Tua goes out before halftime with cracked ribs. I'm sorry that's a flimsy win. On the scoreboard, it's a blowout, but it's a flimsy win in my opinion. And you look at Josh Allen and his performance of the first two weeks, Here's a guy that people thought could challenge Patrick Mahomes for the MVP. They could play his way into that conversation this year. And all of the talk last year about him making the leap, and he certainly did. He was an MVP caliber quarterback last year, and that's why the Bills made him one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the NFL. And I know it's way early, and I know this is a little bit of an overreaction, but Josh Allen looks more like the Josh Allen of 2018. That's not very good. With just 449 yards, three touchdowns, and one interception through the first two weeks. He didn't play the whole game last week. They took him out, gave him some rest. But you need to start getting on track. And look, last week is in the past. The Pittsburgh game is, you know, the the last exit on the turnpike. You've driven past that. But you look at what they have in front of them in Orchard Park. And you have the Washington football team coming in off the the quasi-bye week after beating the New York Giants on Thursday night football. Kind of a gift with Dexter Lawrence jumping off sides on that field goal that Dustin Hopkins got five extra yards for and hit the 43-yarder between the uprights after missing the 48-yarder pre-penalty. But they got the win. They got a tough division win. They also lost by six points to a really good Chargers offense in week one after losing Ryan Fitzpatrick in that game. So this is a really good Washington football team. It might be one of the three best front sevens in the NFL, especially when you look at Montez Sweat and Chase Young. So this is a real prove-it, real show-me-something game for the Buffalo Bills and for the Washington football team. Look, you have a division win under your belt. You go into Buffalo and win? Man, that's a springboard type of performance in an NFC East that is kind of unraveling. After Philadelphia loses Brandon Graham and Brandon Brooks in the same game, they lose to San Francisco. The Giants are 0-2 and in various degrees of turmoil. And that offense can't really kick it into gear, that defense underperforming. And then all of the issues with the Dallas Cowboys. I think we learn a lot about the Buffalo Bills on Sunday. I think we're going to find out exactly who Buffalo is. But Washington can really play their way into the driver's seat of the NFC East if they pull off this upset. And the third team that I think we're going to learn an awful lot about is the Green Bay Packers. They have one of their biggest games of the year. They go to San Francisco against the 49ers team that just won back-to-back games on East Coast time. And look, Aaron Rodgers, for all of the, the good that you saw last week in the second half against the Detroit Lions we're going to find out which Aaron Rodgers the Green Bay Packers and the rest of the NFL are going to get the rest of the way. Is it the Aaron Rodgers who stumbled out of the gate in the opener in Jacksonville against the Saints who went 15-28 for 133 yards and two picks? Or is it 22-27 of 27 Aaron Rodgers for 255 yards and four touchdowns against the Lions who, oh, by the way, the Packers trailed Detroit in that game 7-0 and then 17-14 to 14 at halftime. They had to fight, scratch, and claw their way back against Detroit to win that game. And Aaron Rodgers, this is the same quarterback coming off an MVP who made the entire offseason about himself. He was the storyline every week from the NFL draft through the first week of training camp. Will he show or won't he? He didn't show to OTAs and minicamp. He shows up on time for training camp. But in the midst of all of that, all of the talk and all of the whispers about if he's happy, if he's going to come back, will he force a trade? Will he retire and go host Jeopardy, which we found out during the pregame interview going into week one, that was a real consideration for Aaron Rodgers. If you're going to have that kind of drama and create those storylines about yourself, you need to go out and back it up. You need to go out and have the kind of year that you had a year ago. As John Kuhn put it to me in my column last week, the former Green Bay Packers fullback, you need to go scorched earth on the rest of the league. You need to go on a revenge tour. I think some of that started on Monday night with the comeback win against the Detroit Lions. But going to San Francisco, that's a complete other bear. You look at them being fully healthy. You look at Nick Bosa on that defense. You look at a, an offense that has George Kittle, Jimmy Garoppolo firing on all cylinders, Debo Samuel, all kinds of weapons, all kinds of speed and they can test the Green Bay Packers. The NFC West is the best division in football, and the San Francisco 49ers, if they win this game, they can talk about being in the driver's seat right along with the Arizona Cardinals and the Los Angeles Rams. And if you're the Packers, that's what you're up against. You're up against one of the more complete teams, one of the more dominant and versatile running teams in the NFL. And if you're Aaron Rodgers, this is when you make a statement win. This is when the rest of the league finds out what we're going to get from Aaron Rodgers, and just how competitive the Green Bay Packers are going to be this season. This show was a lot of fun. I can't wait to watch the games on Sunday. I think it's going to be really fascinating, some of these matchups. The Monday night game, Eagles and Cowboys is going to be interesting to watch. Can Zach Wilson bounce back on Sunday in Denver against the Broncos? Or is Von Miller just going to make a statement that without Bradley Chubb on the other side, it doesn't matter against Zach Wilson and the Jets? And these games that we just touched on, I think they're going to be some of the better games that we see this week. That's about all the time we have. Really enjoyed this show. Thanks to Sterling Shepard for stopping by. Thanks to Fanside. It's Cole Thompson for all he does each and every week to get this podcast up and running. Again, if you like the show, please go ahead and subscribe in the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, Spreaker, SoundCloud, all of your favorite podcast platforms. Leave those five-star reviews in the Apple Podcast Store. You can follow me on Twitter at Lombardo NFL. I'm Matt Lombardo. Enjoy your week. Enjoy the games. I'll talk to you next week right here on the Matt Lombardo Show inside fansided Stacked in the Box podcast feed.
1: coverage from progressive casualty insurance company affiliates and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms bundle discount not available in all states or situations sick of being upsold at gyms my guy you're currently a base member for 90 dollars more i can upgrade you to our shred membership for 130 more you'll be a swole member and for just 300 more you'll reach sweat platinum at planet fitness you'll get energy without the upsell never pushy always free fitness training and equipment for every workout it's fitness that fits your budget